Well, I invite you to open your Bible and turn with me to the book of Acts. Who's excited we're starting the book of Acts here today? All right, well, go ahead and turn there with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. And while you're finding the book of Acts, uh, let's just imagine for a moment what it would have been like to be one of the disciples of Jesus. You leave everything, you follow him, you believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and then he dies on the cross. You want to talk about disappointment. You want to talk about having a rough time. Let's think about the disciples and how they felt when their Messiah, the one they were sure was going to be king. So we got to get back into the mindset of the Jewish people. And maybe our church right now is reading through the book of Isaiah. Maybe that's going to help us see that they expected the Messiah was going to be the king of Israel. He was going to restore the glory of the nation. And so the Messiah is going to suffer He's going to be crucified on a cross? No, that, they just couldn't see that happening. And so they must have been so disappointed. One of our own, Judas, betrayed him. The Pharisees, I can't believe the Pharisees arrested him. I mean, every time the Pharisees tried to stump him, he always outwitted. He always outsmarted the Pharisees. How could they catch him? Judas, we trusted Judas. We gave Judas the money back. How could he betray him like this? And then Jesus, he had the power. Surely he could have got down off that cross. Surely he could have saved himself. You know, there were two disciples who were walking on the road to Emmaus and they were discussing something and they didn't realize that it was the resurrected Jesus who walked up to them and he said, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, don't you know what just happened in Jerusalem? We thought he was going to be the Messiah. We thought he was going to be the one and he died on the cross. We thought he was going to be the redeemer of Israel. I mean, this, is what, this was political for them. They had so much hope that Jesus was going to overthrow the Romans and restore the nation. I mean, things like the breaking of the bread and the fish and feeding thousands, the walking on water, the miracles, raising people from the dead. Surely Jesus was the one. And, and how exciting it must have been when they ran down to the tomb and they found that Jesus wasn't there. How exciting it must have been when all of a sudden he appeared in the room where they were all gathered and the doors were locked and he appeared among them. And all of their disappointment must have been driven away and all of their doubts, even the doubts of Thomas, I'm not gonna believe unless I see him. Jesus shows up, here's my hands, here's my side. Do you see and believe? Blessed are those who don't see and believe. Like they must have started getting so low after he died and then so encouraged after he rose from the dead. And I would imagine if you were one of the disciples and you watched your Lord Jesus die on that cross and the darkness came over the land. I would imagine the darkness came into your own soul. And then when you saw Jesus resurrected, there was a ray of light and hope. 
And so what happens next? He's resurrected. He's back. He's with us. What are we going to do now? That's the mindset of Acts chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to study the first 11 verses here today. And I'm going to ask if everybody, no matter where you are in the world right now, will you stand up? Yeah, if you're lying in bed, it's time to get up and do some church, everybody. Let's stand up. And let's all show honor for God's word and let us read together now our scripture reading, our first text from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And uh, we're going to give this our full and undivided attention because this is what Jesus did next after the resurrection and appearing to his disciples. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That's the reading of God's word. Please go ahead and have your seat. And you can see that this book, of Acts is addressed to a man named Theophilus. Do you see that right there in chapter 1, verse 1? In the first book, O Theophilus. Theophilus is a really cool Greek name that means friend of God is what it means. Friend of God. And so apparently when when Luke wrote the book of Acts, and Luke is later going to show up in the book of Acts, going on the missionary journeys with the Apostle Paul later on, the book of Acts is a sequel, and there was already a first book written to Theophilus. So if you've got the handout, if you're taking notes, if you've been able to print it up at home, or if, you're, uh, if you've got the paper in front of you there, we've got an outline of Acts 1, 1 to 11. And the first five verses, we want to we make sure we understand Acts is the sequel to Luke. Acts is the sequel to Luke. 
Okay, this is going to be really important. This is going to give us a, a sense of context as we're beginning the book of Acts. We're picking up right where the gospel of Luke left off. And so I want you to turn with me back to the gospel of Luke chapter 1 and we will see that the gospel of Luke was also written to Theophilus. And so we're not quite sure who Theophilus was, but maybe he was some kind of patron who supported Luke to write both the gospel and then the sequel of Acts. And so if you go to Luke chapter 1, verse 1, you'll see another official greeting there to Theophilus. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke says that he set out to write an orderly account of the good news of Jesus Christ. He said there were eyewitnesses. Maybe he's referring to Matthew and his gospel or Peter who might have worked with Mark to write his gospel. Hey, there's eyewitness reports going out. People who saw Jesus die, they saw him rise from the dead. But I wanted to set down an orderly account and I did it for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, maybe Theophilus was some very important person with a, some kind of role, or maybe he was just a rad dude. But it refers to him here as most excellent Theophilus. I once worked at a church with a pastor, and when anything was going positive, when he got some good news, he said, yes, most excellent Theophilus. So if you want to be a positive Bible nerd, go for it, everybody. Um, but that's who he's writing to. And, and look what the goal is. When he wrote Luke, and now we can assume this goal continues into Acts. Look at verse 4. There's a key word there you want to underline, you want to circle, that you may have certainty. The reason that Luke went to write scripture was he wanted us to be sure, to have stability, certainty, some level of security. I mean, we've seen in the year 2020, so many things seem like, the, like they're shaking up the ground beneath us, like they're knocking us around. So many winds blowing us around. But no, we can have certainty through this good news, through this orderly account of Jesus Christ. That's the goal, that we would have a, a solid foundation to stand on. So the Gospel of Luke is the longest book in the Greek Bible, okay? And if you add up all the writings of Luke, if you add up all the words, like the Gospel of Luke is 19,482 Greek words, and the book of Acts is 18,450 Greek words. And so if you add up the number of Greek words that Luke wrote, in Luke and Acts, he wrote the most of the Greek Bible. He wrote more than the Apostle Paul, even though Paul wrote 13 different books in these two books, 
of the gospel and the sequel, he wrote more than the Apostle Paul. So he writes more of the Greek Bible than anybody else because he wanted to give Theophilus and us, anybody here who's a friend of God today, he wanted to give you an orderly account of Jesus so that you could have certainty. Now go with me back to Acts chapter 1. Turn back there with me, everybody, to Acts chapter 1, and let's see how it picks up. So this is the sequel, and he says in the first book, O Theophilus, I, I have dealt with all Jesus began to do and teach. So he does, he's not acting like the death and resurrection now are the end. They're just the beginning of what Jesus did and taught. And so now he's ready to give us more. And specifically, the first 11 verses that we're going to get into is the story of, look what it says there in verse 2. Look at Acts 1-2. Until the day when he was taken up. Okay, so what we're about to study here together, the first thing we get into in Acts is what we call the ascension. You might want to write that down if you're taking notes. The ascension. We know about his crucifixion, we know about his resurrection, but an important thing that happens is when Jesus is taken up into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, he is exalted to the name that is above every name. Jesus is the king. That's what we're going to see here. And the king is going to go up into heaven, and then we're going to get the promise that the king is coming. Good news we all need to hear uh, this morning. So we're going to study now. This is the most detailed account in the scripture of Jesus being taken up. Now, there's a lot of references to the ascension of Jesus, but this is the passage that gives it to us in the most detail. Another thing we want to see from verse 2 is how, it, how he says, until the day that he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's going to be the driving force of the book of Acts, but notice how it says, through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. So in the Gospels, we refer to them as the disciples, okay? And you might want to write that down. Disciples means learner. Really, the Greek word even brings the idea of math. If you think of somebody studying math, being taught math, that's really the idea of a, a disciple, someone who has a teacher, and they're learning, they're studying. But notice now, in the book of Acts, it, it refers to them as apostles, and apostles means sent ones, now it's people who are on a mission. Now they've been sent out for a purpose. So the emphasis uh, of these followers of Jesus learning from a teacher, well, that emphasis was, was in the gospel. But now in the sequel, in the book of Acts, the emphasis is going to be on what they are sent by Jesus to go do. And we're going to see some of that in our passage today. So we get the introduction, kind of, uh, hey, I'm picking up from the first book. Let me tell you what I'm going to get into here. And uh, for 40 days, if you look at verse 3, it says that for 40 days, he appeared to them on different occasions uh, after he rose from the dead. So they, uh, they felt darkness during those three days, and then they were lifted up for 40 days of experiencing the resurrected Jesus Christ. And then uh, he says, hey, 
You're going to get baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's been preparing them. Stay in Jerusalem. Wait for the power from on high. I'm going to leave. He's not saying he's going to stick around. I'm going to leave, and the Holy Spirit's going to come. But they still have this question. Let's pick it up in verse 6 here in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. They ask this question. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel. So they're, they're still on this thought. They were so surprised when he died. Uh, they were so disappointed. Now he's resurrected and now they get back. Okay, you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the king. All right, so now's the time, right? Now we're going to start fighting. Now we're, you're going to take over. Now you're going to overthrow the Romans, right? This is the answer to all of the prophecies. Is now the time you're going to restore Israel? That's what they're looking for. They're, they had, there is a great political hope wrapped up in that question right there. Is our kingdom going to finally be restored to its former glory? Are the good old days of Israel going to be back? And Jesus, he doesn't dismiss their question here, he, but he just says it's not for you to know times or seasons. It's not for anybody to know the time that the kingdom of Israel is going to be restored. And then he gives them here something we're really going to zero in on. This is the, the idea of them being apostles. You will receive power. This Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. And then Jesus, when, just when you think Jesus has done every possible miracle, every possible amazing thing that could blow your mind, that could take your breath away, here he is. He's got one more thing. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. He just starts going up into heaven heaven right there ascending and a cloud took him out of their sight and there they are just just probably with their their mouths hitting the ground and their eyes looking up to heaven just like wow I mean I would imagine they weren't accustomed to things flying through the sky like airplanes and spaceships and there just goes Jesus up 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 and away until a cloud takes him out of their sight. And while they're just kind of looking up, is he coming back down? What, what's going on as they're looking up? Behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Hey, what are you guys looking at? Why do you guys stand looking in heaven? Two angels show up and they say this amazing promise. This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Okay, so let's get this down for chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. If we're building our outline of Acts, this, what we're studying here in verses 6 to 11, this is the last and first scene of Jesus. The last and first scene of Jesus. It's the last scene of Jesus in his first coming when he ascends into heaven, and it'll be the first scene from Jesus in his second coming when he comes riding on the clouds, returning this exact same way, this exact same spot, just as he went up into heaven, the king is coming back. That's the idea. That's the promise the angels make that they give there to the apostles. Now, when you read through that and you see Jesus giving these final words 
You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. Maybe you think this is the same as the Great Commission. That's a famous passage in Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Okay, we need to just make it clear. This is not the same account. Matthew 28, 16 happens on a mountain in Galilee, the northern part of Israel. This happens, look down at at verse 12, it'll tell you, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. So this happened on the Mount of Olives, which is right outside the city of Jerusalem. Has anybody ever been to Israel? Anybody ever, if you've been to Israel, you know the Mount of Olives. You know there's the, there's the city of Jerusalem. There's the temple right there. Then there's this valley. And then boom, you're on the Mount of Olives. And it's a great place where you can see right into Jerusalem. And when it says it's a Sabbath day journey away, remember on the Sabbath you can't do any work. You're not supposed to be out there traveling. And so a Sabbath day journey is a very short distance. The Mount of Olives is right outside of the old city of Jerusalem. And so this happens right there, right there where he died, where he rose again, right outside the city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the history of the world. That's where Jesus ascended. And if you go to Jerusalem today, maybe you've seen the the image for this sermon that we posted online, the king is coming. Well, that there's a cemetery there in that picture. In fact, over now thousands of years, this cemetery, because it's right outside of Jerusalem, there's a massive cemetery, one of the biggest cemeteries you'll ever see in your life. At least it feels like there's just so many tombs stacked up together right there on the side of the Mount of Olives, like they're waiting for the king to come back and like they're ready. I mean, I wish I could be buried right there in that cemetery on the Mount of Olives because the dead in Christ are going to rise first and they'll be right there when Jesus comes back. It's like a front row seat for the return of the king. It's right outside of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. That's where this happens. So this, we might think of the Great Commission kind of being the last words of Jesus to the disciples, but this is literally the last thing that Jesus says in his first coming is in verse 8. And it says in verse 9, when he had said these things. So this is it. This is his drop the mic and, and literally nobody's ever made an exit like that where they're just like, hey, peace out, everybody. Going up into the heavens, up there in the clouds. Wow, can you imagine if you saw something like that? That would be, you, you wouldn't believe it even though your eyes could see it. And let's focus in on verse 8. Look what he says. You will receive power. We want to really think this through. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So let's get specific. In verses 6 to 8 on our outline, what we have is the power for his mission. The power for his mission. He didn't just say, go and make disciples. He told them how it was going to happen. There was going to come power from heaven. He was going to go up into heaven, but from heaven would be sent the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how he expected the mission to be accomplished. The power was going to come upon them. So before they were ever told to do anything, they needed the power to do it. 
That's the emphasis. And really, here in verse 8, when he says, the power will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Okay, when he says that, look what he says. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That's like the outline for the entire book of Acts. So if you're taking notes, let's just break it down into those three parts. That's what we're going to be studying now throughout this book. Acts 1 through 7, you could put down Jerusalem is Acts 1 through 7. We're going to see the church get started right here in the city of Jerusalem. They're going to fill the city up with the name of Jesus. Just this small group of apostles here at the beginning is going to just fill the entire city of Jerusalem with the teaching of Jesus Christ. It's going to be powerful to see how the early church just explodes there in the city for the first. But because so much happens in the first seven chapters, there's this persecution that comes at the end of Acts 7 into Acts 8. And that drives them into the surrounding region. And that surrounding area there is Judea to the south and then Samaria to the north. So Judea and Samaria is going to be Acts 8 to 12. Okay, So we're building a little outline for the entire book of Acts. Uh, Acts 1 to 7, Jerusalem. Acts 8 to 12, Judea and Samaria. And that means Acts 13 to 28 is the ends of the earth. We're going to see them get scattered by persecution into the surrounding region. But then we're going to follow Barnabas and Paul as they go on missionary journeys all over the known world at that time. In fact, Paul's going to end up in the capital of Rome preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's going to transition right into the book of Romans. So when Jesus actually says this, notice it's not just something for them to go do. It's like a statement of what is going to happen. It's Jesus saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. You will be my witnesses, and you will be my witnesses starting in this city, spreading into the surrounding region, and you're going to be my witnesses all over the world. That's what he says to them. That's his last words until he goes up into heaven. But right when he goes up, wasting no time, are the two men in white robes, and they're there to make a promise. Verse 11, this Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way. We're going to roll the tape back on this. And at the time that it is the time to restore the kingdom of Israel, the time that only the Father knows that he's fixed by his authority, at that time, Jesus is going to come back in this same way. So even though we have the power for his mission in verses 6 to 8, let's get this down for verses 9 to 11, we have the promise of his return. The promise of his return. So these are two specific things now we want to really think about, uh, and, and we want to think about how does this affect you and me. First of all, the mission he gave them, that you will be my witnesses, and then the promise of the angels that Jesus is going to return in the same way that they saw him go up. So let's really get into examining these two things, and let's start with the line, you will be my witnesses. 
I just want you to pay close attention to the language there. It does not say you will go be my witnesses. It says you will be my witnesses. It's not even really uh, telling them something to go do. It's a statement of fact. You will be my witnesses. Now this word here is martus, the word for witness. And eventually this word is where we get the idea of a martyr from. Like people who testify about Jesus. They make their life all about Jesus so much that the world kills them. They won't deny Jesus even when the world tells them to. You have to deny Jesus or we're going to kill you. They are still a witness to Jesus and they get killed for it. That's a martyr. That's the idea of this word. And this word is a big deal that Luke, he not only writes it here quoting Jesus in Acts 1.8, but go back to Luke 24. Let's go back to the gospel. Everybody turn with me to Luke 24.44. Let's see how Luke ended the gospel. And we'll notice that the way he ended the gospel and the way he starts the sequel of Acts, they flow together perfectly and they have this theme of being a witness, a martus. Okay, so Luke 24, 44 has something that Jesus said to the disciples once when he appeared to them and when he revealed himself after he resurrected and he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I am the one. He's trying to reaffirm them, even though he died on the cross. I am the Messiah. All of the prophecies, they all are going to be fulfilled in me. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ, the Holy and Anointed One, the Messiah, should suffer. You should have known that I was going to die. And on the third day, rise from the dead. He opens their minds to see the gospel, the good news, that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for our sins, and that he rose again. And now, what's going to happen next? What's the sequel to the gospel? Repentance. And forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Similar idea. We're going to go all over the world starting from the city of Jerusalem. We're going to tell everybody, repent, change your mind from all of your sin and you can be forgiven because of Jesus. And then it says, verse 48, underline it, circle it, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Same exact idea. The power is coming and you will be my witnesses. Now notice how he says here in verse 48, you are witnesses. So the way that Jesus is talking about being a witness is different than the way we, the way I hear us as Christians today talking. I hear people today saying, I'm going to go do some witnessing. 
And when people today talk about going and doing some witnessing, it seems like the emphasis is on, I'm going to go say something, I'm going to talk to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and i got to figure out what I'm going to say to the person who doesn't know Jesus, and that'll be me witnessing to them. Notice how Jesus thinks about witnessing in a different orientation. He's got us looking a different way. It's not about who we're going to talk to or what we're going to say. It's about who we have seen and heard and what do we know about him let me ask some questions and I'm going to ask you to be interactive even if you're watching this on your phone or a computer I'm going to ask you to actually talk with me here let me ask you three questions do you believe that Jesus is the Christ let me hear you okay yes yes say it out say it out do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day Okay, have you seen it? Have you heard it? Do you know it to be true? Then guess what? You're already a witness of it. You already know about it. You've already believed in it. It's not go and be a witness. You are a witness. Let's think about somebody who's a witness in court, like a witness in a trial. A crime has been committed, and they saw it, or they heard it, and now they're being called in for their testimony. Okay, let's think that through. Maybe that's happened to somebody who's watching this service right now. You were a witness once in a court case, and they brought you in, and they asked you all kinds of questions. Did you see this? Did you hear this? What happened after that? They're not calling you as a witness because you're good at what you're going to say. They're calling you because of what you've seen, what you've heard, what you know to be true. A witness has something to say because they witnessed it. That's what matters. Every Christian who believes that Jesus really is the king, that he really did die, and he rose again on the third day, you are a witness. Now, I'm I'm kind of messed up right now uh, because of this whole thing that has happened here at our church. I see the, the leaves falling, yes, even here in Huntington Beach, I see leaves falling. I see the winds blowing in, the cold coming in. I I see on the calendar, it's November. But see, I'm in this weird place right now. I'm still waiting for Easter. I don't know if anybody else is there with me, right? I'm still thinking we never had Easter church yet. When are we having Easter, right? Because I love Easter Sunday. It's probably my uh, my favorite day on the church calendar because I'll come out here on Easter. People show up at church like an hour early on Easter. Everybody wants to get a good seat. They're all dressed up. It's like it's a big deal all of a sudden on Easter. And I'll come out and I'll say, he is risen. And everybody will shout back, he is risen indeed. Ah, it's Easter, right? But the traditional saying, there's one more part they add on. And we are all witnesses see that's the apostles they saw jesus die they saw him rise from the dead you are witnesses of these things if you know that jesus died and rose again you are a witness now turn with me to the book of isaiah chapter 43 everybody grab your bible and go to isaiah 43 verse 10 because And there's no way I'm smart enough to make this happen. But as God would have it, everybody, and this is an amazing thing that, that I think, at least, I hope you'll find it amazing too. But we're starting the book of Acts, which has this important statement that outlines the entire book, you will be my witnesses. 
And we're also, at the same time, reading the book of Isaiah. And this week, we read about God saying, you are my witnesses. So when Jesus says this in Luke 24 and in the book of Acts, he's actually fulfilling a prophecy and quoting Isaiah. Isaiah 43, verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. So we read that this week where God is saying to his people that you are my witnesses. And then we got Jesus showing up saying you are going to be my witnesses. So it's like a major point that God wants you to get today here at our church. Okay, Now go back to Isaiah 42 verse 1. Because we saw the introduction of this servant. Let's see if we can figure out who this servant is. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Who are we talking about right there, everybody? What's his name, right? Jesus is the servant. God delights in the son. The father loves his son. He's putting his spirit upon the son. Jesus is going to bring forth justice. He is the chosen, holy, and anointed one. This is Jesus. So then look at 43.10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant, Jesus, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. So it's quite possible that the whole church in America right now is getting this whole witnessing idea wrong and we need to rethink it in a major way here today. Because notice, we've seen it in Acts 1, we've seen it in Luke 24, here it is all the way back to Isaiah 43, 10. Being a witness is not about what you're going to say to so-and-so over here who doesn't know about it. Being a witness, look at these words right here, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Have you seen the glory of God in the revelation of Jesus? Have you experienced the grace of salvation through his death and resurrection? Do you really know Jesus Christ? Then you are a witness of God the Father and his servant, Jesus. Okay, so let's get this down for point number one. This is how we want to apply this idea of being a witness. We want to say what you've seen greater than what you say. What you've seen greater than sign what you say. The emphasis on being a witness is on what you know about God and Jesus, what you have seen, what you believe, what you've come to understand about God. That's what makes you a good witness, not knowing what to say to somebody who doesn't know about it. No, the witness emphasis is always on, have you seen Jesus? Have your eyes been opened to the gospel? Do you know who he really is and what he really did when he saved your soul? Okay, anybody who's a Christian, you are one of the witnesses of Jesus. See, we've got this, we've got this idea, well, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I've trusted in him. I know he died, I know he rose. I'm going to heaven. My whole life is about Jesus, I believe in him. Oh, but I'm not gonna talk to anybody about it. I won't say anything to anybody about it. How could that possibly be? Are you a witness or not? This isn't something you can turn. It's not like something you're going to go do. No, you are a witness. 
If you've believed it, if you could see it, if you can know it, then of course you could tell somebody else about it. Because it's your salvation. It's your life. It's Jesus Christ. So are you one of the witnesses? Look at chapter 44, verse 9, everybody. Chapter 44, verse 8. Chapter 44, verse 8. And look at this, Isaiah 44, verse 8. And this is one of the big reasons why people don't want to tell others about Jesus is they're afraid. They're afraid of what other people are going to think or say or do. Maybe they won't like me. Maybe I'll lose popularity. Look what it says, Isaiah 44, verse 8. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it, and you are my witnesses? Is there a God besides me? There is no rock, I know not any. Why would you be afraid of what somebody else is going to think about you when you are a witness of me and all of my glory? Is there any other foundation for your life? Any other stability for your times? Any other solid rock that you can stand on for salvation? No. So if you're a witness of me, why would you be afraid of anybody else? See, maybe the reason a lot of us aren't good witnesses, is we're thinking about, oh no, what is it up to me to say? What are they going to think about me when that's not what being a witness is about? It's about beholding the glory of God and testifying about him. Telling the good news of Jesus that you've believed. You've got to look with me at tomorrow's scripture of the day, Isaiah 49. This is literally, we're, we're studying Acts 1.8 in our sermon this morning that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then this is the scripture that God has us reading tomorrow morning, Isaiah chapter 49. Pick it up with me in verse 5. Notice it's even for the coastlands, the coastlands that got the high wind advisory here today. The coastlands, that's us in Huntington Beach. Uh, notice this is a chapter addressed to the coastlands, Isaiah 49, verse 5. And now the Lord says... He who formed me from the womb to be his servant. Okay, so we know who the servant is. That's Jesus. To bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. This verse right here, Isaiah 49, verse 5, that Israel might be gathered to him. It's that kind of verse that makes the apostles ask the question, is now the time that Israel is going to be restored? Yes, we know there's a servant coming and he's going to gather Israel again and he's going to restore the glory to God's people in Israel. They're asking the question based on this verse right here. Is now the time that Israel's going to be gathered back together and restored as a nation? Look at the next verse. Look at the answer in Isaiah 49, verse 6. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You want to know what the real answer to the apostles' question, are you going to restore the nation of Israel, is? Israel's not big enough. It's too light a thing just to bring Israel back. We're not just going after one nation, the chosen nation of God's people. We're going worldwide. We're going after all nations. We're going to the ends of the earth. Wow. Clearly, when Jesus answered the apostles' question, 
In Acts 1, 6 to 8, he was referring to Isaiah 49, 5 and 6. Yeah, there is going to come a time for the restoration of Israel, but we got to go to the ends of the earth first. Wow, what an amazing statement. And look at how it's all stated as fact. Look at how God says it. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is not mission impossible that Jesus sent us on. This is mission 100% going to happen. That's what mission we're on. Jesus' name will be a light to all the nations. Salvation in Jesus is going to reach every tribe, every tongue, every people group on planet earth will be exposed to the gospel of Jesus. Can I get an amen from anybody here this morning? This is going to happen. This is going out, and we get to be a part of it. We get to be the witnesses. So if you and I, if we could just receive the power of the Holy Spirit... That's where our witness is going to come from. That's where you're going to bear witness of Jesus. If you and I could just focus on who God is, who Jesus is, and the plan that they have to spread his glory to the ends of the earth, then from that power that we will receive, the Holy Spirit coming to us, being in us, working in us, the power of the Holy Spirit is what will be our witness. It is not up to me and you knowing what to say in our own strength. We need to get away from that kind of witnessing. Go with me to John 15. Let me show you one more thing that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit when he was going to come. The power from on high, okay? The power of the Spirit is the key to the witnessing happening, okay? And, and, and this, this is all over. I'm going to take you to John 15, 26 and 27, but I could be taking you right now to Matthew 10. In Matthew 10, when Jesus called his disciples, he named them, 12 of them, and then he sent them out two by two. And when he sent them out, he said specifically, Jesus instructed his disciples, and they just got called one day, they got sent out the next day. And he said, when they come after you, when they arrest you, when they bring you to court, when they put you in front of the synagogues, don't worry, do not be anxious about what you're going to say. Don't worry about what to say. For the spirit of my Father who is in heaven, he will bear witness. He will give you the words to say. The emphasis is always supposed to be on the Holy Spirit speaking through us, not just us speaking. That's the whole point. That's what real witnessing is. It's the power of the Holy Spirit making God's appeal through us. God's going worldwide. Salvation's going to the ends of the earth. It will happen, and the power of the Spirit is how it's going to happen. Look at what Jesus teaches them in John 15, 26, and 27. And remember, when Jesus introduced the Holy Spirit to the disciples in the upper room, he didn't just call him the Holy Spirit. He called him the Holy Spirit, the Helper, and the Spirit of Truth. Three different ways for us to think about the same one. And look what it says, John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. 
and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So yes, you will be a witness, but it's really the Holy Spirit who's coming with power from the Father who's going to bear the witness. That's what's going to happen. And Jesus actually goes on to say here in the Last Supper to the disciples that it's better if I go away I have to leave so you can receive the Holy Spirit and it's to your advantage to have the Holy Spirit in you rather than have me beside you. What an amazing statement of Jesus Christ. That if you have the Holy Spirit, you have the power from heaven to bear witness of Jesus. Let's think this through for a second. You go and you tell somebody about Jesus Christ. You tell them the whole thing. Oh, you won't believe what you won't believe what happened the other day. There was this forecast of 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 twenty mile per hour winds, and my church has been meeting outside. We had to move inside, and oh, that sounds terrible. No, actually, it was awesome because we studied the Book of Acts, and I learned about bearing witness, which I'm doing with you right now. And you tell them the whole story, and and you you tell them who Jesus is and how he ascended into heaven, and how they were looking up, and the angels came, and the person's like, "Wow, that's amazing! I want to believe in Jesus. Can I start going to this?" church with you. This sounds awesome. Are you going to walk away from that conversation and be like, well, I'm so glad they got saved because I know what to say. Is that how you're going to talk about it? Well, I'm so glad. That person, they repented and they believed in Jesus because I knew the right Bible verses to drop on them. Because I knew the right words to say to them. Well, it's because of my vast knowledge of the scriptures and my logical arguments. I put them into a logical trap. There was no possible way they could have ever got out of. That's why they got saved. Because I'm a really smooth talker and I know how to work the people. Can you imagine somebody claiming glory that that person got saved because of what I said? We would never think that was okay. So why do we think witnessing is about what we say? If anything happens in anybody's life, it's because of the power of the Holy Spirit, not because of anything I say or anything anybody else here at our church says. It's all God's power pleading and working through us. Can I get an amen from anybody on this? The power is from heaven, not from us. And so I feel like a lot of people are putting pressure on themselves about, well, I don't know what to say, and I'm afraid of what people will think when Jesus teaches us not to think that way about witnessing. No, you already are a witness. And what you need to do is you need to think about the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within you. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe that he died and rose again, and he, he paid for all of your sin and your sins are all forgiven, and you rise with Jesus to a new life. The moment you have that new life in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the spirit of truth, he is now in you. He's the one who gives you the new heart. He's the one who causes you to walk in God's ways. He's the power for you to live a spiritual life where you have a relationship with God. It's the Holy Spirit. And the way that you tap into this power is you get filled with the Spirit when you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. When you see and know and behold, this is who God is. You're reading through Isaiah with us. You're studying Acts with us. You're going back through Luke to make sure you're ready for the sequel in Acts, and you're thinking about Jesus, you're beholding Jesus, you're a witness to Jesus, that's when the Holy Spirit fills you and he empowers you to bear witness. It's a work of God in you. That's how you're going to be a powerful witness to many people.
is when the Spirit is working in your life. This is not about you and me having some kind of script of knowing what to say. It's about us getting into the Word of God and the Spirit doing a mighty work to empower us, to speak through us, to make Jesus known. There is going to be a witness of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And it's not about what we're going to do. It's what the power from on high is going to do. So it doesn't tell us to go do witnessing. It tells us to be witnesses. And so that should reorient every one of us. I don't need to be thinking about who I'm talking to or what I'm saying and getting afraid. I need to be over here witnessing who God is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And from what I see, what I know, what I behold, God's power will work in me. And I will testify to who Jesus Christ is. Now, go back to Acts chapter 1. Hopefully that encourages you that you are a witness and what you've seen is greater than what you say. But one more thing we really want to meditate on is the promise of his return. And we see it here, this Jesus, and look at verse 11, Acts 1, 11, This Jesus, and and this is an interesting phrase here, who was taken up from you, that's the ascension, right? He's received up into heaven, He will come, and then notice this, in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, so I think a big problem for a lot of us is that this idea uh, of the return of Jesus doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem tangible. Okay, this is a very real event that happened. They were on the Mount of Olives, a place they would regularly go with Jesus, And he was talking to them in a way that he regularly talked to them. And then they just watched him start going up. And he went up so high that he went up into the clouds. And then eventually they couldn't see him anymore because a cloud kind of took him away out of view. That's a real thing that happened. And and they were watching. I think they probably would have just kept watching until they thought he came back. Like, when's he coming back? When's he coming back down? But they got the promise. Yeah, he's going to come back in the same way. Do you see that as a real thing? Are you really thinking, we we find out there's a new president, there's all kinds of conversation going on all over America, we got a new president. Is it a real and tangible thought for you that the king is coming? There's a mountain, a Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, and at any moment, he's gonna come back on the clouds. Notice notice how it says that in verse nine. As they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Notice the detail of the cloud. If you start doing a cloud Bible study, you're going to see that God riding on the clouds is one of the things the scripture says about him from cover to cover. And there is a prophecy of a king who is coming riding on the clouds. You might want to write down some of these cloud prophecies like in Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. It talks about one like a son of man coming on the clouds with all the authority and power of God. Or maybe Revelation 1-7, where he's going to come riding on the clouds and every eye is going to see him. I mean, think about that. This isn't going to be like, oh, is that an airplane? Is it a bird? Is it a spaceship? What is that out there? I can't really tell what that is. No, it's going to fill the sky. Everybody's going to see it. It's going to be unlike anything else we've ever beheld. It's going to be the unveiled glory of God. And when people see it, they're going to know and they're going to weep and they're going to mourn. That's what it says. Immediate reaction. People seeing Jesus coming back and just mourning because they've never seen anything like that with authority and power. 
That's Jesus Christ. Those are, that's a prophecy. Is that a real thing that Jesus is coming back? Like, is that something you actually find comfort in? You find encouragement in? Like, my Lord is coming back. At some point, the nation of Israel will be restored. And there will be a kingdom, a kingdom of Jesus that will reign forever. And at some moment that the Father has fixed, I don't know when it is, but it could happen soon. It could happen at any moment. And Jesus is going to establish a kingdom. And I won't have a, a governor. I won't have a president. I'll have a king reigning here on earth. Is that something you're thinking about in a real way that actually encourages you? See, when you read through the Greek Bible that's written in the first century, it's so clear. These people thought Jesus could come back at any moment. And here we are in the year of our Lord, 2020. Here we are in maybe the worst year many of us have had. Here we are in the 21st century, 2,000 years later, and you talk to Christians today and they're like, yeah, I don't really know if Jesus is coming back. I'm not really sure if he's coming back. Probably won't be in my lifetime. Maybe my kids, maybe my grandkids. I don't know. Like these people were poised. They're like looking at the clouds. They're like, I wonder what's behind that cloud. I wonder if it could be Jesus riding back in. Could today be the day? And, and, and we're over here being like, I don't think so. Why? This is a promise right here. It's a promise that had an expectation that these people thought could be fulfilled in the first century. Why are we saying, nah, I don't believe it? I don't, I don't accept it. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm not anticipating it. I'm not thinking about it when I'm having a hard day and the storms are coming in and the winds are blowing and there's many dark clouds on the horizon. I'm not thinking to myself, yeah, beyond those clouds, it's the return of Jesus Christ. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. This should be a driving motivation. All of our hope should be set fully on the, on the fact that my king is coming riding in on the clouds. Let's get that down for point number two here. Keep looking behind the clouds. Darkness coming in on the horizon, disappointment coming into your soul. Well, just remember, beyond that is your king coming to reign and every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. His lordship will be acknowledged universally. That's how the world is going to finally get united with King Jesus coming on the clouds. You want to talk about an entrance. I'm really impressed. I mean, I don't know. If famous people, they show up in a limo, you're like, wow, that's pretty nice. I wonder what that's like, having somebody else drive you around in a fancy car like that. I was at a wedding this week, and they were like, yeah, somebody wanted to ride into the wedding on an elephant. I was like, okay, that is an impressive entrance. Coming in, I don't know why you'd want to do that at your wedding, but you're coming in on an elephant. I think that would get points with everybody. I mean, the, the president goes around. He's got impressive vehicles. The motorcade, if you've ever seen the presidential motorcade go by, I mean, it stops traffic for blocks. It's impressive. I mean, Marine One, the helicopter that he goes out on, I mean, when that thing comes through, you feel that. Air Force One, we're just flying into airports, massive crowds. That's a cool entrance. You just fly in on your private plane. This is the best entrance I've ever heard. How about somebody riding on the clouds of heaven? How about something that immediately every single person on this planet will know that's another level of power and authority than we've ever seen or experienced. That's what's coming. And Jesus is not going to be the only one on the clouds. You might be right there with him. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Here's just one of the many cloud references 
that we could turn to. A lot of witness references and a lot of cloud references. These, what, what, what happens here in Acts 1 is very specific in how it happens at the ascension and the immediate promise that this is the last and the first scene of Jesus, last of his first coming, first of his second coming. But if you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you'll see that we get included in the cloud prophecy. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. That makes me think when Jesus comes back, it's, that's three different ways to say it's going to be loud, everybody. It's going to be loud. I mean, look at that. The cry of command, that sounds authoritative. That sounds like it's not coming from the throat, but from the diaphragm. You know what I'm saying? And then the voice of an archangel, I don't know why, but when I read that, I think, I wonder if archangels have stronger voices than normal angels. You know what I mean? And then it says the trumpet of God. I've heard some loud trumpets. I can only imagine how loud the trumpet of God is. Oh, it's going to be so loud like a sonic boom. It's going to, everybody's going to know when Jesus comes back. Every eye's going to see him. And then look at this. The dead in Christ will rise first. All of those people who have believed in Jesus over the last 2,000 years rising maybe people going right out of those tombs right there on the mount of olives and look where they're going to go then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air and so we will always be with the lord therefore encourage one another with these words how about that everybody At some moment, just like Jesus was taken up in his ascension, at some moment you will be caught up to meet Jesus in the air. You will meet Jesus, not here on earth, but in the clouds, in the sky above us. And when you meet Jesus, you are always going to be with him. What an We're supposed to be encouraging one another with this. I mean, I I think if we're going to be a church of Jesus Christ, if we're going to be his witnesses, here at the end of the earth in Huntington Beach, then we need to believe the promise that he is coming, the king is going to be riding on the clouds, and we should encourage one another. It should be so real and tangible to us that when something bad happens, like the winds are coming and we got to bring the service online, or uh, we're not sure about what's happening with the presidency in our country, can we look one another in the eye and say to one another, yeah, but don't worry, brother, don't be discouraged, sister, Our king is coming. And can we really encourage one another? Lift each other up. Do we just think, oh, that's something spiritual that I'm not going to experience? Or do we think that is the future promise of heaven and I cannot wait? I'm ready. I know he's coming soon. And I'm putting all my hope on Jesus coming back. Wow. If there was a word that we needed to hear today, it's that our king is coming and when he comes we all will go will go into a dimension i mean something we can't even possibly relate to unlike anything we've experienced we are going to go up into the clouds not on an airplane not with a jet pack but because the king is coming back we will meet him in the air if that doesn't encourage us if that doesn't lift us up then, then we got to realize, wow, why am I doubting 
what the scripture is promising? Why am I disappointed and discouraged when the scripture is trying to get me to look behind the clouds and see that the Lord is coming back? And so what we want to do right now is we want to take some time to really pray about this. I want to bring the the worship team back up here, and we're going to have a couple of songs, and these songs are going to set our mind on the things above. They're going to set our mind away from all the news of the day, away from all the weather reports right now, and they're going to set us on a promise of Holy Scripture that you have a king, and he's coming to get you, and he's going to meet you in the clouds. And and we should be encouraged by that. We should encourage one another with these words. That's when we're going to know we've really studied the ascension of Jesus as we start the book of Acts. When I'm encouraged that the king is coming back. When I can encourage my brothers and sisters. That's when I've really thought this passage all the way through. uh, That I know my king is coming. And he's coming soon. So let me pray for us. And then I hope you'll just take a moment and stay where you are and keep praying and think about what is it going to be like when you meet the Lord in the air? What is it going to be like, the joy that you're going to experience? The actual rapture. That's, what they, that's why they called it the rapture because they were referring to the delight in our souls, the overwhelming joy of being caught up to meet Jesus in the clouds. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I thank you for this word that we could study from the book of Acts. And I thank you for the promise that we will be the witnesses of Jesus. That the witness is coming from the power of the Holy Spirit and it's going to the ends of the earth. And for the promise that our King is coming, riding on the clouds. Every eye is going to see him and while the rest of the earth is mourning, while they're weeping, Because they're realizing they put all of their hope in politics. They put all of their hope in this life, in their their money, in their relationships. And they were pursuing the pleasures of sin. And they're going to realize that they wasted their life. And they missed the point. And the point was always that Jesus would get all of the glory. That every knee would bow. That every tongue would confess. And in that moment... Those of us who believe in Jesus, we'll be caught up to be with him in the clouds. And we will experience what was the point of our lives, what was the point of our faith, why we weren't putting our hope in worldly things, why we weren't pursuing those pleasures of sin. It was all because of Jesus. God, we look forward to him establishing justice among the nations. We look forward to seeing the glory of your son, the chosen one, the one whom you delight in. Father, we can't wait. And I pray that you will encourage us. We could really use it today, God. That you could encourage us for real in our souls and that we could be able to encourage one another. Hey, brother, hey, sister, I know we're going through it right now. But the king is coming. And he told us he was coming soon. 